Welcome to the podcast of the week by the Australian Research Council Centre of Excellence for the History of Emotions, Europe 1100 to 1800. Enjoy hearing how emotions make history. Hi, I'm Bastian Phelan, Outreach Officer at the Sydney Node of the ARC Centre of Excellence for the History of Emotions. Today I'm interviewing Umberto Grassi, former postdoctoral research fellow with the Centre at the University of Sydney and currently Marie Curie Fellow at the University of Verona with a visiting fellowship at the University of Maryland. And I'd like to point out that the Curie Fellowship is Europe's highest academic honour awarded by the European Union. So welcome Umberto and congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, can you tell us about the focus of your research while you were at CHE? Okay, so while I was at the Sydney node of the CHE, I investigated the emotional dimension of the relations between Muslim and Christians in the early modern period. And I've done that through the focus of transgressive sexualities. So I thought it was an interesting perspective because, I mean, in Western Christianity, the use of sexual tropes played really a central role in the construction of, I mean, the Muslim as the others. They were depicted as sinful beings, you know, prone to any kind of sexual transgression. And above all, they were accused of being sodomites. So sodomy was a very central topic, you know, in the depiction of Muslims are unreligious people. That was the idea of Christians, of course. And... I investigated the way in which this imagery led sometimes to the opposite outcome, which was, I mean, that is attracting those who were not satisfied by the restrictive rules of uh, Christian sexual morality. So I was analyzing in which way, I mean, this imagery uh, yeah, could play like, sometimes could be like attractive for someone. And so there was like, they were like mirroring each other you know, through the stereotypes, so the stereotypes were used sometimes in another way. And that fostered also like curiosity and sometimes it led to actual relationship between Muslim and Christian based on, on these like assumptions. That was my main topic. Fantastic. What led you to investigate the emotional dimensions of the relations between Muslims and Christians in the early modern period? Yeah, I think it was, I mean, interesting because for a long time, historians and above all like historians of like intellectual history have pointed out the like 17th and 18th century like, northern European liberal genesis of the idea of tolerance. While recent historical research this was more based and it was more focused on practices and social practices and social history and cultural history uh, have indeed uncovered that it was like a long history, a long-term history of interactions along the Mediterranean Sea between people belonging to different religions. And that dates back to the late medieval period, so late medieval and early modern period. So the Mediterranean was actually like a crossroad of cultures. And many men and women, as also goods, like circulated widely. This kind of circulation of men and goods was also a way to like sometimes cross the geographical and ideal borders that divided the fates. Scholars have already shown how sex, love, and marriage were kind of means you know, to build relationship that fostered forms of cultural you know, hybridity. But I thought it was really interesting to include in this picture also a reflection on transgressive sexuality. And I thought that that was particularly useful also because non-reproductive sexuality was forbidden in both cultural traditions, so both in Muslim and Christian tradition. It opened up like a space, which was like a like a black space, you know, something that was, uh, that allowed also for interaction that 
since they were not accepted. I mean, a lot of things could happen in these in this space that were, I think, particularly interesting. I mean, in terms also of class and social like commingling, and and I think it worked out because I found, I mean, some really interesting cases in archival sources, and of course, I'm focusing on the control, so I'm focusing on inquisitorial sources. Can you give us an example of a person who crossed sexual, cultural or religious boundaries? I thought that one of the most interesting cases I found was, I mean, the case of Susanna Daza was an inquisitor, that was an inquisitorial case. And she was like a Morisco woman in Spain. Morisco means that she had like Muslim origin, but she was forced to convert to Christianity. Then, I mean, she was living as a Christian, so going to church and confessing and blah, blah, blah. And then she met like a Muslim man and she was taught by him some like basic rites and prayers of the Muslim religion. And she started to practice in like a hybrid syncretistic cult, which included both Christian and Islamic. And then she decided to convert again to the Muslim religion. Then she broke up with these men. And after she had a relationship with a Jewish man, and then she converted to Jewish religion as well. And at the end of the day, uh, I mean, she broke up even with these, with these men. And she started to live in, I mean, as a single woman for a long time, having a lot of sexual relationship with many different people. But she kept practicing a kind of syncretistic religion. So she used to pray both, I mean, she like mingled the mixed the Jewish, Christian, and Muslim rites, and then she was put on trial for that, and also after also for witchcraft because I mean I think that one of the main reasons was that her she was very kind of I mean she was proud of what she was doing and she was very she speak outwardly and so she was very well known in her community. It has been like a transgressive figure, so it was not acceptable. I mean the inquisitorial trial would also mean to keep under control this kind of transgressive and not um yeah, not acceptable and potentially, you know, disrupt. I mean her, her, her way of life was potentially disrupted for the social order of the local community. And so she had mm-hmm. to face it. And I think that this is a clearly an example in which way I mean there's an interaction between actual practices and emotional relationship and in which way also that also could change also the intellectual dimension and also what people thought about the faith and uh, a relationship with God. So it was a very interesting case. It's really interesting the way that one of the reasons she was put on trial is perhaps not so much that she was mixing all these different religions, but the fact that she was proud. And, yeah. you know, I find yeah. that really yeah. interesting. That yeah, yeah that, that was one of the main problems because the problem was not just what you did in the past, but it was also your opinion about what you did. Sexual transgression were widely accepted, but you have also to stay within some rules. Uh, the problem was if you claim that what you were doing was not wrong, that was a problem. That was an intellectual, you know, that was a scene and that was a crime. That was a real crime. I mean, in terms, I mean, for the inquisitor, for the inquisition. But I mean, I got plenty of cases. I just chose that because it was particularly interesting and also because a woman was involved in that because often you got mainly like a male perspective of sexual transgression because I've always worked on like male homosexuality, basically. And I thought that there was a particularly like uh, outstanding as a case for that time. One of the key original insights of your work has been into the link between same-sex sexual relations and a particular heresy. Can you tell us more about that? 
Yeah, so by researching on inquisitorial trials, I identified a not yet investigated heresy that circulated in the Italian peninsula um, in low and middle class environments between the 16th and the 18th centuries. The defendants in the, in the trials stated that Adam and Eve practiced anal sex in the terrestrial paradise and that forbidden fruit, which is a apple, was a symbol of uh, sodomy. And they were also charged for defending religious tolerance and syncretistic cults. So in Sicily, one of them embraced the Muslim religion, while in other parts of Italy, they sided for like Calvinists, Lutheran, Anglicans. And they all thought, and I think that this is the key, I mean, of all the trials, that all can be saved in their own law. That is, that the eternal salvation, in their opinion, was not limited just to Christianity. So I think this is a case in which it's really interesting to see in which way the inter- like sexuality was used like a trope to question institutionalized religion and the idea like of a morality that was based on like on a reward in the afterlife and that we're claiming that in this actual life we can experience pleasure and also that there was no religion who could decide who was really worth to go to paradise basically or to get the eternal salvation. So I think that was... That was, I mean, probably the, the most relevant achievement of my research. I mean, uncovering these, uh, these heresy. How does the history of emotions help us to understand love? I think it was particularly interesting for me because we're talking about a love that dare not speak its name. This is a quotation by you know, Oscar Wilde. So it was, it's very hard to find people like talking about their feelings in the first person using the first person stating, I, I mean, I love this man, I love this women. But also I think that, and that's the reason why for like a social and cultural history of sexual transgression, we have to rely on basically judicial sources, which are very hard and difficult sources to interpret it because I mean, of course they're produced by an institution want to prove that you were guilty and they, they have their own frame. I think the history of emotion was particularly useful to, so you have to be aware of the cultural intellectual background of those who were producing the source. So you could recognize what they wanted to know. But sometimes there's a very rich emotional vocabulary that comes out from the documents. And I think that in many cases, the defendants, as the witness, said something that was completely unexpected for the judges as well. And I think that that was like the opportunity for me, analyzing these emotional vocabulary. So they often talk about love and it was really interesting to see how they always use the same I mean they interpreted like homosexual relationships in terms of heterosexual relationships so they talk about being like husband and wife loving that boy as a wife or uh, marido mio in espanol is marido mio so my wife and my husband and but still there were also some other interests sometimes you, you, I also find uh, cases in which this kind of polar, gender polarization was less, was less uh, like strict, less sharp. And there were also people who were uh, like experiencing, yeah, more reciprocity and also role reversals because sometimes being identified with a woman or with a man meant also having the active or the passive role. I mean, they've been top or bottom basically in the, in the sexual relationship. Yeah, and I think it was... There's a rich, there's a rich emotional vocabulary in uh, judicial sources that still deserve to be, yeah, to be analyzed. And I think that the history of emotion provides us with really, uh, I mean, more refined tools to do that. And I hope 
I move like a first step in this in this direction with my research. So, what are some of your findings or research outcomes? So, I wrote, I mean, several articles in journals, both in Italian and in like English English journals. I edited a volume on sexual transgression and like homosexuality and the different way in which like sexual and gender transgression were interpreted in Italy from like the Middle Ages and the middle of last century, so 1950s, 60s. And I wrote a monograph. I wrote a monograph on the control, uh, like sodomy and homosexuality, like on a long-term perspective. So from the late antiquity to the 18th century, which basically, yeah, focus on which way rereading as I told before, rereading like judicial sources and sources coming from tribunals from the perspective of the history of emotion may open up a lot of interesting like perspective on the study of transgressive sexuality and also allowed me to you know, go beyond an historiography that was mainly focused on sexual practices rather than how, what people like perceived and felt about the sexual acts they were like performing. So... And I'm still, I mean, this is still under review, so I'm still waiting for that. But hopefully it's going to be like a good outcome. I'm sure it will be. Um, Well, thank you so much for joining us today and all the best for your future research. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this podcast by the ARC Centre for the History of Emotions, please go to our website, www.historyofemotions.org. Dot au.